Yeah, morning everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to speak to you all and share the word of God with you all this morning. Always an honour. Uh, we've been in Luke chapter. Tw- we've been in Luke, and today we're going to be in Luke chapter twenty. And the title of the sermon is "Who's in Charge?" Who's in charge? So last week, uh, Matt preached on part of the previous chapter, uh, where Jesus makes his triumphal entry and he clears out the temple. So you know, the king has arrived. The king is here. And all the different things he'd been doing leading up to this point began to attract some not-so-positive attention for some certain people. So, you know, the teachers, uh, the chief priests, teachers of the law, they approach Jesus, and where we're going to pick up, they are questioning his authority, kind of trying to trap him and catch him out. And for us today, you know, my hope and prayer is that we can be convinced and reminded from the scriptures about the authority that Jesus holds, um, and what that should, how that should translate and what that should look like for our lives as Christians and people trying to please God. And I think this is something that's so important because authority isn't very popular. You know, authority is not something that we all like. You, know, you probably can't see it properly, but you might get this image of an angry boss in the background when you think of authority. Um, you, know, you might think of a, a, a manager at work who is very dismissive, you might just think it's very evil. Uh, you might think of a, a bad landlord. You, different connotations might come to mind, but I know for me, often when I think of authority, if I'm proud, if I'm arrogant, I just try and stay away from it as, as much as I can. Um, I think we, we do like to be independent. We do like to do our own thing. Um, I think I just started working in September. And one thing I've realized from people I talk to at work and whatnot, the, the whole idea of being your own boss is huge. Like Everyone wants to be their own boss. Everyone wants to be self-employed because no one wants... No one wants anyone telling them, come into work at this time, this is how much you're going to be paid, this is where you can take annual leave. We want, we want freedom. We want to kind of be able to do what you want to do. And I remember even uh, when I lived in my parents' house, again, it's not, not a good example to follow at all, but um, I remember if I'm being proud, if I'm being arrogant, my parents might tell me to do something. And even if what they're telling me, I can agree, no, this is a good thing to do. This is the right thing to do. But because they told me to do it, I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> like I remember, and this, this example isn't, isn't even that far away, but I was driving home to see my parents over Christmas, and near my parents' house is a, like a toll, a Dartford tunnel, it's a toll you just drive through. You have to pay the, the fee by the next day, otherwise you get a fine in the post. And the last time I drove to see my parents, I forgot to pay it, and so I got a fine. Um, and so my dad's like, make sure you set up an account, make sure you do it. And he was like, oh, I was like you're stressing me out, it's alright, like, it's fine, I'll, I'll do it, you know, when, and guess what, I got another fine. Um, and so I learned my lesson, you know, authority is not a bad thing. Authority is actually a very, very good thing. And I think, again, today the main point is I want us to see Jesus is the authority. Jesus has all authority, um, and we should submit to that freely. And happily, and brings me on to my first point: what authority? So we'll pick up in Luke chapter twenty, and we'll start in verse one. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and scribes with the elders came up and said to him, "Tell us, by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority?" He answered them, "I will also ask you a question. Now tell me." Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Well, why do you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered 
uh, they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love the way he answers there. Um, but yeah, we see here, you know, prior to this, Jesus had just cleared the temple and he's teaching. And his chief priests teach the law, they approach him and they ask him, who's given you the authority to do all of these different things? And now, I... They're not here just for research. They're not here just for curiosity. They're not here to kind of, uh, kind of dig into the teaching he's doing. They're here to try and catch him out and try and trap him um, on the words he was saying. And why were they asking this question? And at this time, any teaching that, from a rabbi's point of view, any teaching that didn't come from the religious elites and the Sanhedrin, um, it, it, can't, it doesn't have any authority. Um, as long as it's not approved by them, then there's no authority to it. And people teaching otherwise or going against that is a sign of kind of ignorance or a sign of rebellion. Um, hence why they were so upset with Jesus. And up to this point, Jesus had done a lot of things to turn some heads. A lot of things that they did not approve of, um, you know, like healing on the Sabbath, you know, uh, touching lepers who were completely uh, classified as uh, unclean, uh, preaching directly against the Pharisees, attracting a lot of the temple, clearing the temple. He did a lot of things that got their heads and their eyes turning. And the, this question was intended to expose Jesus um, as a poser with no authority, um, no backing for the, doing the things he did and saying the things he said. And we see how he responds. He goes back to them with a question. He's like, well, tell me about John the Baptist. Was, was that from God or was that from man? And he knew they would be stumped by that. And I love it that they were truly stumped by that question. Um, they, they knew that on one hand, if they said, no, it was from God, that, that they'll be discredited because then why wouldn't they believe Jesus? Um, but on the other hand, they know if they say it's from man, all the crowds, all the people believe John the Baptist is a prophet. And at this time, was probably even more popular than Jesus. They knew that they would be in big trouble if they did that. And the irony of it was that they ha- in the flesh, they had the one who had all authority speaking to them right there and then. But they refused to soften their hearts, to accept him and to listen to what he was saying. They didn't want to admit to his authority because it would probably mean change for them. It probably mean they had to repent. It probably means they had to change a few things. It means they wouldn't have as much influence and authority as they thought they did. And, you know, but Jesus being the son of God, he, throughout his life, and even up to this point, he showed and proved his authority, not like he needed to, but out of love, compassion, and power, he showed he had authority over everything, including us. No, in Mark chapter 4, he showed he had complete authority over nature. You know, he's in a, he's in a boat with his disciples, and the storm comes, and they're freaking out. They are stressing out. There's a big storm, and Jesus is just sleeping. He's chilling. He's relaxing. And they're like, come on, come on Jesus. Like, what's happening? Sort this out. She gets up. Be still. And it stops. He has complete control over nature. He showed and established his authority over the spiritual realm. Countless times, he cast demons out. He, he told, them, told them where to go and told them to stop in their tracks. And the demons knew who he was. An example of this is Luke chapter 8, uh, where he cast out a legion of demons from a man and sent him into pigs. Uh, Jesus had authority over the spiritual realm. He had authority over physical sickness. You know, they would have witnessed him heal countless and countless of people. A um, couple of examples of this in Luke 4, with just one touch, he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And, you know, she was, she was in bed, she was sick, and then she gets up and begins to wait on them. You know, Mark chapter 2, when uh, four friends brings paralyzed man to Jesus, not only does he say, your sins are forgiven, 
tells him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he did. Now he established authority over his disciples. He called them to follow him, and they did. You know, he established authority over death. Even death. We see him raise Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, showing that life and death is still under his control. Um, even his own death later on he, he raised from the dead after three days of being in the ground he established authority by what he taught you know in Luke chapter 4 you know, it says everyone was amazed by his teaching as he taught as one with authority you know, he established authority over every realm yet these people the scribes the teachers of the law hardened their hearts to him and would not accept his ultimate authority over their own human authority and they failed to see that by rejecting him, it wasn't just him, but they were rejecting God at the same time. And you know, you know, Jesus this is a situation where he's with you know the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. But what about us here today? You know, who is Jesus to you today? You know, some say he's a good teacher, some say he's a savior, some say he's our Lord, he's our King. But who is he to you? And I love this quote by. C.S. Lewis thinks in the book Mere Christianity and it says I am here trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God that is the one thing we must not say a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher he would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I think it's so important to remember, yeah, Jesus was a moral teacher. He, he was a great moral man. He died for our sins. But he is and was the one who had ultimate authority. You know, in Matthew 28, when he's sending his disciples out to go and make disciples, he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. This means it supersedes any authority, any human authority that we have. Teachers, bosses parents, governments, Jesus' authority is completely way and above any of that. And for those of us who have become disciples, for those of us who repented, been baptised and said Jesus is Lord, we have accepted that. We accepted that his authority trumps any other authority. But just like the Pharisees, just like the teachers of the law, the people he was speaking to here, it's not automatic that we don't harden our hearts to him as well. You know, it doesn't mean that just because at one, at one time we said Jesus is Lord and we accepted his authority, doesn't mean that over time we haven't subtly slipped into ways where we become our own authority and live for ourselves. And you know, we have, we have two options, either to accept his authority and submit to it, or to rebel and to go our own way and do our own thing. And that brings me on to my second point, which is submission or insubordination. And let's carry on reading from Luke chapter 20. We'll pick up in verse 9. And he began to tell this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. 
and he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. Uh, This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And he threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. So immediately after this interaction Jesus has with the teachers of the law, he begins to tell this parable. You know, a story about a man who plants a vineyard and he lets it out to some tenants so that they can work the land for him. And he goes away for a while. Uh, but at some point he, come, he sends him servants because he wants to check on what's going on. He wants to check on uh, his property. And, um, you know, this would be completely normal at the time. You know, you would let, uh, you know, you would let out a vineyard to farmers and the way you'd get paid is you'd get a cut of anything, of anything that's harvested, anything that, that's produced. And so we can... We can see it's not an unreasonable thing for the man to send his servant to kind of check on what's going on. It's pretty normal. Um, you know, it's like if any of you own properties and you let out to people, you know, it's only right you go and collect your rent. Like, it's not a bad thing if you go and ask for your rent. That's, that's how, just how it goes. Um, but they send the servant away empty-handed. Um, so I'm like, okay, wow, these tenants are very bold. Um, they obviously have no respect for this landowner. Um, so he sends another one. And he receives the same equally shameful treatment. And for them to do this twice, uh, they must really have some sort of vendetta against this landowner. They must really think they can get away with kind of taking these profits for themselves. So the owner, they send a third one and they wound him as well. So the owner's thinking, okay, what can I do? I'll send my son. He's part of my family. Maybe they'll take him seriously. Maybe they'll respect him. And, you know, it's like, I think of, like, situations I've been in different shops, and I'm sure we can all remember this. You see someone just kicking off at the cashier, maybe in Sainsbury's or something. And what do they do? You bring the assistant store manager, you bring the the security guard, and you hope, actually, they might not respect me, but they're going to respect them. They're going to kind of chill out and either settle down or get out of the shop. And it's kind of like that. You you expect them to respect the son, the heir of this landowner, um, who's kind of wanting his cut of what he owns. But they were furious and they plotted to kill him and plotted to kind of take everything for themselves. They obviously did not think that this master had any claim over them or the land he gave them. And, you know, they were furious and they reacted with such anger because their thinking was flawed. Um, you know, although the land was rented to them, um, they didn't have any perception that there's authority above them who can demand what is rightfully his. Um, you know, they, they thought it was within their right to try and claim everything for themselves, um, but they did not think properly that actually, no, I'm not the owner of this land, I'm only a tenant working for, for my stay. And Jesus told this story because they could, the people listening could relate to this. Um, in fact, they related so much that when he told it, they were like, surely not. Surely you can't treat the landowner like that. Um, it would be outrageous for that to happen, but ironically, 
<laughs> this parable was directly about them and they're treating Jesus this exact way. You know, the man who planted the vineyard represent God and um, you know, they, would, they probably would understand that uh, the tenants would be them and the vineyard would be the nation of Israel. And each of the servants that came uh, that they treated badly were all of the prophets that God said in the Old Testament to speak to them, to urge them, to warn them, to turn their hearts away from evil towards repentance and to God. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus even said in Luke 11, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom, uh, God in his... God his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some who they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. This parable was aimed directly at them and God's son, who was sent, like in this parable, was standing right in front of them and they were plotting to kill him. And they were literally living out this parable right in front of Jesus' eyes. Um, and you know, Jesus looked directly at them and he asked them, you know, what does it mean when said, the stone the builders rejected has now become the capstone? And he, get, he says to them, that there's only two options. If you reject me, you know, this stone will either, you'll be crushed by it um, or you'll be broken by it. There's, there's, no, there's no wiggle room at all. And that's pretty intense and I think it's obvious that when Jesus was saying these things, he was really trying to get their attention. He wasn't shying away um, from the fact they weren't very happy with him. And I think even though it was directed at them, it applies a lot to us today as well. Um, You know, life and everything in it, everything we are, everything we do, belongs to God. It's been given to us by God, and he does expect something from us in return. He does expect fruit from us, and rightly so. He has claim over us, he is the overarching authority, and that's just the way it is. Um, but, you know, when I was thinking of this, one of my favourite TV programmes is a, a show called Suits. Some of you might have heard of it, some of you might not. But um, it's a show about like American law, and I think I love it so much because there's always something in me that kind of feels I could be that kind of lawyer, that barrister, you know, that, that high-flying lawyer in America, you know, <laughs> putting the bad guys away and all that kind of stuff. But that, that's probably just the dream anyway. But, um, you know, one of the main characters, one of my favourite characters, is a guy called Harvey Specter. And he is an incredible lawyer. Anyone he wants to put away, he'll put away. Any client he wants to close, he will close. And he walks around wearing the sharpest suits, doing what he wants. And one of the key things about him, one of the biggest things in his reputation, is that he does not do what he is told. He does what he wants, and no one can tell him otherwise. Now, he works for this law firm, and he's not the manager of the law firm, but he he works in it. And um, The beginning of this show, literally you see his level of insubordination, his level of kind of, no one can tell me what to do. Um, He hires this fake lawyer who's never studied law, never gone to law school, and he hires him to come and work for his firm. Kind of putting him, the guy that he hired, as well as everyone else in the firm, kind of in a position where they could all go to jail. Um, and as the show goes on, the manager of the firm almost does go to jail and almost loses her license to practice law. The firm almost shuts down and so on, so on and so forth. And you kind of see that, yeah, he can try and wriggle his way out of these situations, but nothing good can come out of rejecting authority. Nothing good comes out when we choose to be insubordinate to the authorities that are above us. And that could be parents, it could be teachers, it can be uh, governments, it can be whatever. But 
most importantly, that can be Jesus as well. I mean, personally, for me, I can look at this passage, and sometimes I can be a bit dismissive of it. Uh, because I can look at it and be like, well, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm not the one that killed these prophets that came earlier on. I'm not the one that's about to kill Jesus. Um, surely I do submit to his authority. Um, but when, you know, when thinking about it, we do reject Jesus' authority subtly in our day-to-day lives. You know, it might not be saying, God, I'm not going to follow you anymore. We might not come out and say, God, I'm done with you. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do things how I want. But it can be a lot subtler than that. You know, we can start to put barriers up and limits up in terms of our discipleship and our devotion to him. You know, we can start to compromise on things. And we end up living for ourselves rather than producing for God what he so deserves. You know, God, I'm going to come to church. I'll come to church on Sunday. I'll even come on Wednesday. I'll go to family group as well. But after that, you're not really going to get much of my time. Uh, you're, not, you're not really going to... I don't really want to spend time with you. That's, that's a bit too much. Praying and reading my Bible every day. No, that's a, that's a bit much for me. Um, you know, God, yeah, I'll, I'll read my Bible every day. Um, you know, I'll go to church. But I'm, I'm, I don't really want to have other Christians involved in my life. I don't really want to talk about my sin. I don't really want to talk about what's going on. Um, those things I can kind of keep to myself. You know, yeah, God, I'm... I'm definitely going to help the poor. You know, I see a big need. There's homelessness around me. There's poor people around me. I, I really want to help, but I'm, I'm never going to open my mouth and, and talk to someone about my faith, my friend or a stranger. I'm, I'm not going to do that, or vice versa. You know, yeah, God, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to quit all these other sins. I'm going to stop them. Um, but, you know, lying at work and compromising at work, I, I kind of need that to get promoted. Like, how, you can't really expect me to, to put that down. Um, God, I won't be immoral. I won't be impure, but... Foul language, coarse joking. I, I don't want my friends to think I'm that weird. Um, you know, God, I, I know your word says this. I, I know you've called me to this, but right now I'm just not feeling it. My emotions tell me to do something else, so God, I'm going to do that. You know, God, I, I know you've called me to give sacrificially, to give financially to you, to the body, to the church, but you know, I'm going to wait until my finances are a little bit better for me to do that. And, and the list can go on and on and on. Maybe we can so easily let our situations and circumstances stop us from submitting to the authority of Jesus. And whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstances, God knows about it, he cares about it, but surely he still deserves our best, even through those different times. You know, this isn't to make us feel down or to make us feel upset, but it's to help us to see that actually we, we really can identify to these teachers of the law that Jesus is preaching directly to right here. No, we can, for, we can forget that Jesus has complete claim over everything, over us included. So the question is, that: do you believe, do you truly believe Jesus has claim over your life today? You know, do you think it's unreasonable for Jesus to expect things from you in return? You know, and are you living day to day with the authority of Jesus in view? You know, if so, he's not looking for us to just be religious like these scribes, like the teachers of the law, who say and do all the right things, but he does want us to produce fruit. Um, you know, like he says, he wanted to, to see the fruits of the vineyard that were coming up. And you know, this can mean a bunch of different things, and we see it all over the Gospels when Jesus talks about wanting, if we're to be his followers, if we're to be his disciples, there is things that we should be producing. You know, the fruit of repentance. You know, we see in the Gospels and all over the Bible, Jesus calls us to stop living for ourselves, to stop living for sin, and to turn to him and live for him, to live for righteousness. You know, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 
you know, love, joy, peace, patience, so on, so on. You know, those of us who've become disciples, God has put His Spirit into us. He's put His Holy Spirit in our in our hearts, and He does expect us to produce something in response to that. And he's also looking for us to bear fruit by helping other people to know Him. Uh, he says, "Go and make disciples of all nations." You know, Jesus has given us everything, and He does expect fruit from us. He's made us heirs to His kingdom. He's made us sons and daughters. He's made us partners in this mission to save the world. And all of those roles, none of those roles are passive. There's a part for all of us to play in this. And the question is, where are we on this spectrum right now? You know, is your perspective that, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to withhold anything from God. I'm all in. I'm all in for you. I submit to your authority. I withhold nothing. Or have you drifted like some of the tenants and began to make compromises and embraced thinking the wrong way over time? Have you began to live for yourself and make excuses and compromises as to why that's okay? You're choosing to focus on a situation or a circumstance rather than looking and living for Jesus. Now, what's an area that you might be rejecting his authority in today? Is it your time? Is it money? Is it a certain aspect of discipleship or your sinful nature? Or what situation is it that you're letting get in the way of you submitting to God's authority. You know, recognising Jesus' authority over our lives and his claim over our lives will have a profound impact on the way we live. And when we truly go day by day understanding that, um, it brings complete freedom, not kind of bondage what we always think about authority. Um, you know, it will cause us to be outward focused. It will cause us to pour into and invest in people's lives as Jesus intended. It will cause us to be uh, open about our lives and open about our sin. It will cause us to invite input from other people. It will cause us to make every effort to please him every single day. We won't put barriers, we won't put limits, and God will be glorified. And, you know, I urge all of us to go away and to reflect on this this week, to think about, okay, are there any areas of my Christian life, any aspects of my life that I'm withholding from God, any aspects I'm choosing to be my own boss, choosing to be my own authority instead of letting Jesus be my authority and, and for some of us here like it, it may be that we're new to Jesus maybe that we're new to a relationship with him my encouragement would be to, to seek after a relationship with him to seek after what does it mean to follow his authority because I guarantee you you'll find it's different to what the world says about authority you know to wrap up when, again when we think of a boss, when we think of someone in, in charge, in authority, it can very easily bring negative connotations. And, but we need to remember that Jesus is not like any earthly king or any earthly boss mm-hmm. or any earthly landlord or any, anyone that has authority over us. Yeah. We have to remember that he's demonstrated that he's not dismissive of us, that he actually cares and loves about us deeply. He showed us that by giving his life for every single one of us on the cross. He showed us that by giving us his Holy Spirit, giving us the body of Christ, and so much more. His benefit is not for our harm. Sorry, his authority is not for our harm. His authority is not for us to be disadvantaged. It's for our good. Um, and let's remember that, that he has authority over everything. That, that fact won't change, but it's just down to us whether we choose to submit to it or not. And I just wanted to read this passage. You know, it says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. 
Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us, submitting to God's authority should not be burdensome. Submitting to Jesus should not be burdensome. And so I hope and pray that as we, as we go from here that we can continue to dig into the scripture. There's a lot in it and obviously a 30 minute sermon can't do it all justice. Um, so I really hope and pray that we can dig into this and we can give God the glory by submitting to his authority each and every day. Amen.